solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Uh, what a great, great song. I hope, I hope sometimes these hymns will just get, get a hold of your heart and uh, encourage you, strengthen your faith. And uh, I like the older hymns. I, I'm not into this newfangled stuff. And um, Some people call them 7-Eleven choruses. They sing you know, seven words 11 times over and over again. I'm not into that kind of stuff. I don't, don't think there's a whole lot of depth of theology. There's not a whole lot of depth for my soul to anchor to in those songs. And we get into some of these hymns, and boy, they're, they're rich, aren't they? With doctrine. They're rich with God's Word. They're rich with encouragement and edification. Sometimes they're rich in convicting our hearts about some things and causing us to, to look and do a, a, a soul search and uh, to say, as the psalmist did, search my heart, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And I think it does us good from time to time to do that. Well, let's take our Bibles, if you will. Turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. And uh, hold your place there. I'm going to... Uh, there are a few few messages that I preach about every one to two years. <coughs> As best I can remember, it has been uh, about three or four years since I've preached this one. But uh, they're of such a nature that I think they're very important. Uh, for us to be reminded of that, you know, regularly. Uh, and I want to share with you some foundational thoughts that came from a message, actually, that I preached just a few months ago, uh, just to kind of lay the groundwork for the message that we're going to preach this morning. And uh, hold your place in Psalm 1. We're going to be there in just a minute. I'm going to read to you uh, two verses uh, out of uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Many of you could probably quote them, and that's fine, uh, just verses 1 and 2. If you want to turn there, that's fine. If not, I'll read them. And then we're going to move over to Psalm 1. So I'm going to begin reading verse uh, 1 of chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews. Wherefore, anytime we see the word wherefore or therefore, it is a foundational statement that is made upon the previous evidences. And the writer of Hebrews laid out an entire chapter of evidence of faithfulness of God's people. In fact, chapter 11 of Hebrews is often referred to as the hall of faith in the Bible. There are so many people that... Uh, it refers to that by faith they did this, and by faith they did that. And he goes through, the writer of Hebrews goes through all of this chapter, chapter number 11. In chapter 12 he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Well, what's this great cloud of witnesses that we're compassed about with? He's talking about those that are in chapter 11. Seeing that we also are compassed about, are, also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which thus so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Hebrews, we find that it is the purpose of God, it is it is God's charge to us as Christians that we lay aside those things in our life that are, he refers to them here as the, the, the weight, and then he refers to another group of things that he refers to as the sin which does so easily beset us. And by the way, any sin that we do not immediately deal with in our lives will easily beset us. It will become a besetting sin. Uh, one, one of the great uh, needs in our day 
is for God's people to recognize that sin is going to happen in our lives, but when it does, it needs to be dealt with quickly. We need to come to God. We need to uh, confess that sin to Him, not so we can stay saved, uh, not so we can gain salvation, but for the restoration of our fellowship with Him. And, but it needs to be dealt with quickly, because if it's not, it will become a besetting sin. So he talks about two things here. We're to lay two things aside, things that are, that are weights, these things that would slow us spiritually. Maybe they're not sinful, but they distract our attention from running the race. I uh, was watching a number of years ago a uh, marathon that was taking place. And uh, along the way, different stages, they have uh, tables set up with uh, cups of water on them. And uh, uh, they, as they run by, they'll grab this cup of water and they'll take a little sip, maybe dump some on their head and throw it off to the side. And it was amazing to watch how uh, sometimes there were some that would get tripped up and it would slow their gait and it would slow their pace as they would reach over and grab that cup. But then there were those that... They just kept their eyes focused on the end. They were close to the end, and they didn't want to be bothered with anything that was distracting to them. And these weights oftentimes are things that maybe are not sinful things, but they're things that just don't give us the best advantage of running the race that God's given to us. And we're to lay those aside. We're to lay aside the sin which is so easily beset us. And then we want to look at this phrase. And let us run the race that is set before us. Let us run with patience. I'm sorry. The race... That is set before us. There's a couple things about this. One of them is God gives every one of us a race. He makes it known to us and He puts it before us. And we're to run it with patience. Uh, a lot of times I get impatient on things. Especially when it comes to, uh, Lord, what am I supposed to be doing right here? Uh, I, want to, I want to know and I want to know now. We're to run this race with patience. So this is what God's will is. Is that we run this race with patience. Now look with me in Psalm 1 for a minute. And again, this is all just laying a foundation for where we're going with this this morning. And uh, actually, I did preach this a few months ago. And if you want a full message on these, these thoughts, uh, you can go back and search for it. I think it was about four or five months ago we preached on this subject. In Psalm 1, he says this, Blessed is the man that walketh. If you're in the habit of underlining some things in your Bible, I would encourage you, uh, maybe underline just that one word, walketh, for a minute. All right? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor, here's another word I'd like you for you, if you would, to underline or at least make a mental note of it. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. And then another word here, nor sitteth, the word sitteth here, in the seat of the scornful. There's three types of people that are shown here in Psalm 1. There are those that um, are ungodly. And they give their counsel. They give their advice. And then there are those that are referred to here as sinners. And these sinners don't uh, just have a, a wicked way of thinking. They're actually doing sin. They have a way about them. Uh, they practice sin in their lives. And then you have those that are referred to here as the scornful. Not a lot is said about the scornful. But the scornful are those that are oblivious to any type of conviction about their sin. They scorn God, they defy God, and uh, they are often referred to as those that commit what are referred to as high-handed sins, or shaking their fist in the face of God as they do it, uh, having no, no remorse for their sinfulness. 
And if you look very carefully, I don't think that this is by mistake that the psalmist penned these this way. But he says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And I would go, to, I go so far as to say this, that God's will is for you and I to run. And we are to run a race that He has set before us. And if we're not careful, we will begin to give ear to the counsel of the ungodly, and it will keep us from the running of the race and cause us to begin to walk in this counsel of the ungodly. And if it is unchecked and we continue to give heed, oh, maybe we're not, we're not following their ways, but we're listening to what they're saying. They're maybe chuckling and nodding in agreement with their advice they give to us about worldly living and ungodliness. Maybe we don't stand up and, and, uh, and reprove them for their ungodly speech and we just kind of go along with it and, ha-ha, that's funny, and, uh, boy, that's yeah, you're right on that, just so we don't be uh, cantankerous to them and so we don't uh, hurt their feelings. It's not very long before we begin to walk in their counsel. And if left unchecked, it's not very long before we progress from that to standing in the way of sinners. And I have watched over the years, and I think even when I was a young person, did this a number of times. I grew up in a pastor's home. There were certain things I knew I wasn't allowed to do, and I would be convinced by the counsel of the ungodly to do them. And uh, some of them weren't supposed to be done uh, at all. Now, they weren't always immoral things, although sometimes they, they were probably sinful things according to the Bible, something that would be contrary to what God wanted. But I remember one time our church had rented an old, old home-built dunk tank. This thing was made out of plywood and had nails sticking out of it. uh, I don't know who in the world got in there and used it, but, boy, it was a dangerous thing. It really was. And I was about seven or eight years old, and my best friend, Adam Richter, was with me. and uh, We we were playing around in the summertime, and here's this dunk tank sitting in the football field empty. There's not any water in it. And my dad had told me, he said, Greg, don't go near it. Don't go near it. But you know how boys are. Oh, I dare you. Wait a minute. I double dog dare you. Now, when you get a double dog dare, you can't not do that. Not when you're eight years old. And, I mean, we were charging and challenging each other. Well, I'll do it if you do. You get up there and I'll go knock the thing and, and no water in it. Just This is bored, you know. I remember getting in that thing and it was my turn to go and he hits the thing and I go down and we fell 500 feet, it felt like, till I hit the bottom. And when I hit the bottom, I wasn't ready for it, and it knocked the wind out of me and kind of kind of laid me over in there. And I mean, I was hurting. I was, got up limping and had some blood from somewhere. I don't know, a hinge or a nail or something. It wasn't pouring out, but it was, it was on me. I remember telling Adam as I got out of, that, out of there about an hour later when I came to, uh, I remember telling Adam, I said, man, don't tell anybody about this. I'll get in so much trouble. What had happened? I gave heed to the counsel, and it caused me to do the action. This is what the psalmist is warning against here. That if we continue in the counsel of the ungodly, it's not very long before we're going to be walking right in the way of sinners. We're going to be doing what they're doing. And I remember I remember that day when I got into that, that, uh, that dunk tank, I was looking around. I made sure Dad wasn't out there. I was looking over my shoulder, afraid I was going to be caught. I was still nervous. There was still some conviction there. And then when it happened and I got hurt, and I knew Dad was going to see me probably bloodied up and skinned up, and he's going to be like, Greg, what were you doing? And I knew I was probably going to get in trouble for it. My heart sank because I had conviction for it. 
But then there comes a point if we continue to do those things, we're in the way of sinners. It doesn't take very long if we leave it unchecked till we begin to sit down right in the seat of the scornful. And look at how far we've come. God expects us to run the race with patience. And we started walking because we listened to the counsel of the ungodly. We continued to listen to them until we began to just stand in the way of sinners. We started to, to go where they went and started to do the things they did. And maybe there was some conscience there. Maybe we were feeling bad about it. Maybe we were looking over our shoulder as we came out of that place, knowing that if somebody from church saw us there, they'd probably wonder why we were there. And if we didn't stop it there, it came to a certain point where we didn't care who saw us. In fact, we had defiant and open sin in our lives, and we became a scorner. Now we're sitting in the seat of the scornful. Now all of that is to show the problems that there are with following after the enticement of sin. It starts with the counsel. It begins with the little bit of sin and then begins to become defiant sin. Or what the book of Hebrews refers to as besetting sin. Now notice what the psalmist says here in verse number 1. He says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Verse number 2, But... This is a conjunction. It combines the two thoughts. His, speaking of the blessed man, his delight is in the what? The law of the Lord. And in his law (coughs) doth he what? Meditate day and night. So it's not enough to just simply read your Bible reading schedule for the day. But to but to pour over Scripture. To meditate on it, to let it let it uh, be thought over in our hearts throughout the day. And this is, notice what it says in verse number 2. It is the delight of this man. It's the thing that his heart longs for. Now hold your place here in Psalm 1 for a minute. Turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And let's look in verse number 9. Psalm 119. In fact, I'm just going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read down through about verse number 11 or 12 here. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with the what? Whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in His way. So if they seek with him, Him with their whole heart, it helps them to walk without the iniquity, and to walk in His ways. I would say it this way, that when we seek with Him with our whole heart, it helps us to run that race with patience. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Verse number 3 of Psalm 119, They also do no iniquity, they walk in His ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep Thy precepts, what? Diligently. We are to put some effort into it. We are to grit our teeth. We are to press on. We are to strain in the harness towards this thing of keeping His commandments. This is to be the delight of our hearts. Thou hast commanded us to keep Thy precepts diligently. Oh, and this word oh is is almost a groan. It's an expression of, of emotion here. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep Thy statutes. This was the longing of the heart of the writer. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. 
I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. How do we keep from uh, sinning the sin of youth and cleansing our way? The writer says this, By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my, here it is again, with my what? Verse number 10. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Are we starting to see a theme here? This desire that we have, this longing that we have to follow the statutes of God, the commandments of God, the desire of our hearts to be pleasing to Him. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. And there's that word, oh, again. Almost a sigh or a groan of emotion. Oh, let me not wander from Thy commandments, Lord. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against Thee. Now back to Psalm 1 for a moment. Verse number 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law doth he meditate day and night. Why? Why? Because he doesn't, walk, he doesn't want to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't want to stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't want to sit in the seat of the scornful. And the remedy to that is to delight in the law of the Lord. Why? Because it's going to keep us from sin. It's going to give us a longing and a desire to keep His commandments. You know, the Bible tells us that for a Christian, that the commands of God are not grievous. They're not something that are burdensome to us. But they are the delight of us. They're the things we long for, the things we, we pursue after. That didn't happen before I got saved. But when the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me, He brought something in there that didn't used to be in there. It caused me to long for the things of the Lord. And now when I sin, it grieves me. It hurts my heart. I, I come under conviction. And it's something that I, I have to come many times in tears to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me for this. Restore my fellowship with you again. <coughs> because I long to follow what you want. And that ought to be the desire of every Christian. Now, this blessed man, we've described him here, and I want you to look at, here's the message, and this is the verse. And he, speaking of this blessed man, the one that delights in the law of the Lord, this is who we're speaking about here. The one that meditates in the law of the Lord day and night. This is the one we're speaking about here. And he shall be like a what? Tree planted by the rivers of water <coughs> that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly, this is not the blessed man now, but the ungodly. The ungodly are not so, but are like the what? The chaff which the wind driveth away. So we have a contrast here. We have the blessed man. The Bible says he's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Not only is he going to be planted by the rivers of water, he's going to bring forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf will not wither. Not only is his leaf not going to wither, but whatever, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not, not like that. The ungodly are like the chaff, and the wind blows it away. That's, that's the comparison or contrast that's given here. 
So let's take a minute and look at this blessed man. This one that God desires for every single one of us to be. One that runs with patience the race that is set before him. One that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. One that doesn't stand in the way of sinners. One that doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. One that delights in the law of the Lord. And in that law he meditates day and night. This is the one we're talking to. The Bible says this, He shall be like a tree. And I want you to say with me the next word. What is the next word? He shall be like a tree. What? Planted. Planted by the rivers of water. I like that word planted. When I was a kid growing up in Florida, South Florida, back then, years ago, they were known as the citrus uh, capital of the world. And we still do a lot of citrus down there. But I remember as a kid, you couldn't go hardly anywhere without driving by these groves. And I would look at the, the neatly lined rows of trees. And there were times in the summertime, we'd go out in the woods back in the uh, back where it wasn't developed real well, and maybe some birds had gotten a hold of some of those seeds and dropped them around in the woods. And occasionally in the woods, we'd come across some trees that would have some uh, maybe oranges on them or some lemons or uh, grapefruit or something on them, and just a tree here or there where maybe a bird had dropped a seed. But there was a difference when I saw that tree and when I saw these groves. And one of the things was, when I saw these groves, I could tell by looking at them, that they had been planted there. They didn't just drop a seed. Somebody had planted them in that, in, that, in that area. You know why I could tell that? Because they were nice, neat rows. And somebody had sat down at some point with paper and pencil or with, with the software that they use in the computer, and they planned out this patch of ground, and they said, okay, we're going to put rows of trees right here, and we're going to space them this far apart. And we're going to make sure they're, they're, the rows are this far apart. And there was a plan, very distinct and a very direct plan, plan for this, this set of trees. We, some of you are gardeners. I'm not one. I've never had a green thumb in all my life. But I come around some of your houses. They're immaculate. And I look at your flower beds. And they look beautiful. Well laid out. The right colors in the right places. The right heights in the right places. And space just perfectly apart. And nice, neat rows. And I can tell by looking at them. They were planted there. Not like going out in the woods and finding a field full of flowers. They're just they're scattered out there. There's something I like about this phrase, that He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And that is this, that God has a purpose and a plan for each one of these folks. And one of the great things that you and I need to come to grips with in our life as Christians is to say, Lord, I want You to plant me where You want me. So often in our lives, we come to God and we say, God, I want to do this for you. Can I have your permission? When really what we ought to do is say, Lord, wherever you plant me, I will be content. And I will do the very best I can right where you put me. And I've told people so many times before that, that I've seen uh, oftentimes, even when I was in college and had graduated, there are people that are still living in the same town as the college I graduated from that graduated within just a year or two of when I graduated. And, if, and from time to time, I'll visit them or I'll see them around or I'll talk to them on the phone or through a text. And, and, and it's amazing how often here 20 years later, 30 years later, they, they say, well, I'm just waiting for God to show me what He wants. Can I tell you this? Bloom where you're planted. Wherever it is that God has put you, do something there. Put some roots in. Because He has a plan for your life. He has something going on there. This tree that's planted, notice the Bible says here, he's not going to be like the chaff. He's going to be tree, like a tree that's planted, notice this, 
by the rivers of water. God's going to make sure that this tree has all the nourishment he needs. I'm thankful that God has given each and every one of us all the nourishment that we need. He's done it in a couple of ways. He's done it by giving us His inspired, preserved, inerrant Word. And He gives us nourishment through His Word. You ever come to the Bible discouraged and leave encouraged? You ever come to the Bible with a problem and leave with a solution? Why? Because God gives us nourishment. He gives us nourishment by allowing the Holy Spirit of God to indwell us. And that Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. It shows us the right way. It prods us along the way. It instructs us in righteousness. It brings peace and comfort when I need it. It's it's nourishment for my roots. Know that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me. And then I think one of the most precious things that God has given to me is the absolute right and privilege to come to Him anytime I want into the very throne room of grace and to come to God in heaven and say, Lord, I have a need. And boy, it gives me strength. Know that the God of heaven, the one that stepped out on nothing and made the universe and all that in it is and all the universes that are out there. And then He looked down on this earth and He created this earth. And He created the sun and the moon and the stars and the water and the plants and the animals. And then He reached down and formed the hand and breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. And that God gives me the privilege to come to Him at any time and say, Lord, I have a need. Be able to have access to Him. Why? Because that's nourishment for my soul. It helps my roots to dig really deep We've taken some time. In fact, let's take a moment to look here in case you weren't here the other night. But hold your place in Psalm 1. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. Because Jeremiah does a very similar passage here. In fact, more than likely uh, uh, was inspired by the same Holy Spirit. Wouldn't you say? It's almost like there's the same author throughout this book, isn't there? If you didn't know any better, you'd say the Holy Spirit wrote all of it. And I think it's because we do know. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 17. Let's look in verse 5. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm. This sounds like the ungodly man in Psalm 1, doesn't it? The one that's like the chaff. Let's see what Jeremiah says about it. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert. And shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. The heath bush was an old desert plant over in the Middle East. didn't have much roots. It was a lot like the tumbleweed of our, our country over here in the West. It would oftentimes, in the heat, would shrivel up. And then the winds of, of the desert would sweep across. Oftentimes it would uproot them. These little heath bushes dried up, shriveled up. No... no uh, no uh, substance to them. No roots that are driven down. They're inhabiting the parched places in the wilderness in the salt land and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a what? Here it is again. Tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her what? Roots by the river. And shall not see when heat cometh, her leaf shall be what? 
Sounds like Psalm 1 when it says her leaf shall not wither. Leaf's going to be green here. And shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green. And shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Why? Because with his whole heart, he has sought the Lord. Back to Psalm 1. This blessed man, the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates day and night in it. The Bible says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I'm going to give you three things very quickly <coughs> that happen with the tree that psalmist, the psalmist speaks of here. When you plant a tree, one of the first things you do after you dig the hole and you stick it in the hole and you put the dirt back around it is you get the hose out and you put water on it. You make sure it is well watered, well nourished. My dad used to love to plant trees years ago. And my dad's mindset was, if you, if you have God and, and um, there was a, uh, a fertilizer back there called, um, as that blue, blue grain or stuff, what was it called? Uh, I don't know, miracle Grow. Yeah, miracle Grow. And he thought, God, if you had God and miracle Grow, any tree in the world would grow. And come to find out the miracle Grow wasn't necessary, but God was. So, but he, he loved to plant trees. He planted this little uh, orange tree in the backyard. Uh, of our house. I remember back in 1989 when he planted it and um, he planted that thing in the hole. It's just a little small thing. It wasn't mature enough to bear fruit yet. They said it would take it several years for it to bear fruit. But he planted that thing and he nurtured that thing. He told me, he said, Greg, now don't you hit that with the weed eater. Don't you kill it. And he loved that little... He'd go out there and he'd weed it. He'd water it at night on the hot nights. He'd make sure it had nourishment. He'd go out there and put miracle grow on it. Season after season, it would get blooms but no fruit, no fruit. And year after year after year. I remember the year that he stood out there, and I, we were out there uh, working in the backyard, and it was late on a Saturday night, and someone was going down, and he's out there watering it, putting some more miracle grow on it. And he started talking to the tree. And he told the tree, he said, Now, if you don't bear fruit this year, I'm going to cut you down. And by now, it's probably about as high as this, this pulpit here, and uh, getting a little bushier. And I remember him saying that. And uh, sure enough, that spring, the blooms came out on it, and uh, one piece of fruit came in, in, in that bud. It's a little green piece of orange, and it never did ripen. It's just a little small thing, but he couldn't cut it down because of that fruit. But it takes water, it takes nourishment for that tree to just just live, just to live, just to continue to grow and to strengthen itself. And by the way, a, a tree's purpose is to grow and strengthen itself so that it can bear the fruit that it's going to bear later on. That little tree my dad had planted couldn't have borne the fruit. It would have broken the limbs off. It would have been too big for it. But as the tree grew and it sunk its roots in deeper and got bigger branches and a bigger trunk, it began to bear fruit because it could. That's why I believe the Bible tells us in Psalm 1 that He'll bring forth His fruit in His season. But the tree will use its nourishment in order of a priority. Have you ever noticed that? If a tree only has a little bit of nourishment and it's struggling to find the nourishment, it's only going to use what it has to simply keep alive. It's not going to grow. It's not going to get stronger. It's not going to deepen its roots. It's going to sit there 
and looked the same next year as it did this year because it just barely had enough to keep alive. Now, if it has enough to sustain its life and it's got a little bit more than that, the second thing it's going to use it for is it's going to use it to grow. It's going to start putting its roots deeper. It's going to start building a, a trunk that's bigger. And if you don't, if you don't uh, understand this, go to any of these arborists that cut down trees that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. And look at the, they call them growth rings in the trunk of the tree. And you know they can go back hundreds of years and tell you what year there were droughts and what years there was plenty of rain. Why? Because the growth rings weren't very big in the years of drought. They didn't grow. In the years of water, they had large growth rings because they grew and all this extra nourishment. So the next thing it uses it for is to grow. It's going to deepen its roots. It's going to raise up taller. It's going to get a thicker trunk. It's going to have stronger limbs. Why? Because the goal of the tree is to bear fruit. And it wants to do everything it can to give itself the best opportunity to bear fruit. Now, the tree is not conscious and doesn't think conscious thoughts like you and I, so it does this naturally. It's not something that the tree sits there and thinks, oh, let's see if I can grow today. Oh, yep, there it is, I grew. The tree doesn't do that. The tree grows as it has nourishment. And the same thing in the Christian life. You don't grow because you sit there and say, oh, I want to grow. You, you grow because you have plenty of nourishment. And that is what brings the growth in our life. If a tree has enough to stay alive, and it has enough to grow, and it still has some left over, then and only then will it use the excess to bear fruit. And can I tell you this? I think far too often we try to bear our own fruit. When the truth of the matter is we just need to get some more nourishment and the fruit will be born. I like what the psalmist says here as he gets to verse number 3 because he addresses some of these issues. He says in verse number 3, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit. And I'm glad he added this in here in his season. He's only going to bring that fruit when he's able to, when he's at the point where he can. But notice in verse 3, it also says this, His leaf also shall not, what? Wither. What's the first sign of a plant that they are not getting enough nourishment? What happens if you don't water a plant for a week or a month? What's the first sign of that? The leaves begin to wilt and wither, don't they? You know what the leaf is in a Christian's life? It's our countenance. It's the outward sign of the health of the inner heart. I remember a willow tree a number of years ago that my dad had planted for my mom. And it grew for years. Beautiful thing, beautiful thing. Out in the front of the house... We had a big two-story colonial house. It had a big willow tree out there. Just a picture-perfect southern-style house. Beautiful thing. After about six or seven years of this willow tree growing and being beautiful, uh, we started noticing that it, it wouldn't, wouldn't bloom out as well each spring. And it started to have some issues, and the leaves began to fall off of it, and it started turning brown. My dad began to give it more water, and he brought more miracle Grow, and he, 
even had some people that were uh, involved with the nursery to come out and look at it and talk to him about it. And we couldn't figure out what was causing the problem. And year after year, it seemed to get worse and worse and worse and worse. After about two or three years of this, it finally got so bad <coughs> that it was just the little sprigs of the branch and there were no leaves at all on it. My dad said, well, we've done all we can. We might as well cut it down and we'll plant something else here. And so the day came, we went out there and we took the chainsaw, we cut it down, and all of a sudden it became evident why the tree died. Because some carpenter ants had gone on the inside of the tree in the core of the trunk. And when we went to cut that tree down, we realized that the inside of it, the heart of it, had all been eaten out. And there was no substance to the tree. Can I tell you this? When the heart is not getting the nourishment that it needs, it begins to rot away. And the leaves begin to wither. There's not a whole lot of fruit being born because the inside of it is rotten. Jesus talked to the disciples, or talked to the uh, uh, Pharisees one day. And he, he said, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. He said, You're white as sepulchers. He talked about the fact that they had cleansed the inside of the cup, but the outside of the cup was clean. In fact, it's interesting that if you look at all the interactions in Scripture where Christ interacts with the Pharisees, not one time does He ever condemn them for their outward condition. Not one time does He do that. In fact, if anything, He commends them. He says, outwardly you're clean. He actually recognizes that fact. But He does condemn them, doesn't He? Not for their outward condition, but for the heart. He said, outwardly you're clean, but inwardly you're full of dead men's bones. Why? Because the inside wasn't what it should have been. A tree can try to put up the front for a while. But if it's not healthy on the inside, if it's not getting the nourishment that it needs, it's not going to grow and it's not going to bear fruit. And if we don't have enough nourishment, it's going to eventually start withering up. The leaves are going to start shriveling. You know, you can tell looking almost at somebody how their walk with God is going. Oh, I'm not saying you should be judgmental. That's not what I'm getting at. Have you ever been around somebody that the minute you get around them, you think, boy, I love being around this person. There's something about them. They just seem to be bubbling over with the things of the Lord. And then you get around other people and you think, boy, they're really, they're really, it, it just, I felt down when I was around them. Wasn't a whole lot going on in their life. Always complaining about things. The Bible tells us in Psalm 1, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth His fruit in His season. Jeremiah 17 said He spreads out His roots by the water. He deepens them. He grows. His leaf also shall not wither. And notice what it said here, Whatsoever He doeth shall prosper. You know why the psalmist can say that with confidence? Because the blessed man, the man whose hope is the Lord, the man who's not uh, walking in the counsel of the ungodly or staying in the way of sinners or seeing as he is scornful, the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord 
And in that law, he meditates day and night. That man, everything he does is going to be for God's glory. And it's easy for the psalmist to say, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly, they're not so. They're like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Are we what we should be as a Christian tree? Have we put our roots deep into the Word of God, into walking in the Spirit, into spending time in prayer and relationship with God directly? What about meditating in His Word day and night? What about making this book the love of our heart, the delight is what the psalmist said. The delight of our heart. The Bible tells us if that's the case, then we'll be like that tree. There's times that I get to points in my life and I think, man, I just am really down right now. I'm going through a dry spell and things just don't seem to be going well in my life. And you know, I can mark it down every time it has to do with my personal walk with the Lord. Every time. Every time that I begin to neglect some things or I'm too busy for things or I don't spend enough time in doing the, the things of reading Scripture, not just for studying or preparing a message, but you know a pastor has to be careful of this. There's got to be times I read this book just for me. Just for nourishment. And there ought to be times like that in your life too. It ought to be regular have the nourishment of God's Word, to have the nourishment of His Holy Spirit, and have the nourishment of praying, and having direct access with God. Not bearing enough fruit, we're not getting enough water. Not growing, not getting enough water. The leaf withering, not getting enough water. How's your nourishment? How's your nourishment? Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we pray that You'll bless the teaching, the preaching of Your Word. <coughs> May we learn to be as this blessed man in Psalm 1. Lord, it's a very simple passage and one that many...